You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello listeners and welcome to this edition of Essential Apple. Uh, This week would, or the week just passed I should say, would have been Steve's 66th birthday. Um, And that's about all the news that's worth mentioning. So that's been a lovely show. (laughs) No, no. Seriously, um, the news is pretty thin on the ground, I'll be honest, unless you're interested in rumours and we're not. So instead... We have invited Adam Engst of Tidbits to join us. Hello, Adam. Hello. Nice to be here. Yep. Nice to have you. Nice to have you. Um, and Nick is here as to... Hello, Nick. Hello again, everybody. Yes. So, um, yes, as I say, the news is pretty thin. The show notes are very skimpy indeed, but never mind. Um. Adam is here, so we're going to talk to Adam, of course, Um, and as I say, Adam is, uh, you know, one of the Tidbits team. Um, Adam, tell the listeners about yourself. (laughs) Well, how long do we have? Um, uh, Okay, I'll I'll keep it short. (laughs) We've got no no news. (laughs) Please, go on at length. (laughs) But I've been doing this for 30 years, so... Um, we founded, my wife Tanya and I founded Tidbits in April of 1990. Uh, so we've been, we've been covering Apple for, well, longer than everyone else, um, pretty much. And Tidbits is the oldest technology publication on the internet, uh, solely electronic, obviously. You know, there have been pikers who were in print beforehand and then joined us on the internet later. And uh, second oldest technology, uh, second oldest publication, internet publication of all time. There, there's one one newsletter that's been around longer than us, um, and uh, and we've just you know been pumping out Apple coverage since April of 1990. So uh, we're at issue 1,552 coming up on Monday. And so, yeah, I mean, you think about like, you know, whoa, it's a a light news week. Well, we've had to deal with that for the last 30 years sometimes. Mm -hmm. Although I will say a lot more happens than it used to. I mean, it used to be years between operating system updates. You know, now they're an annual event and we get four or five major things in the middle. That is true. So, yeah. I mean, I remember. The world has really you know, I remember because <laughs> the world has changed a huge amount. <laughs> there would be a huge wait between I don't know, say seven point two and um, you know whatever came after that. You know, and they and, didn't. Always, you know, and arguably it wasn't a bad thing. Either, were they? No, it wasn't always a bad. Thing. They, they 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 were linear, but they but but the amounts they went up by were not always. So like you could get seven point one and then seven point five. And, yes. the, you know, indicating it was a more significant upgrade. So, um, yeah, it's not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, I, I there's lots of people out there who would really love to not have a new version of Mac OS every year. Well, I think that's uh, know, something we've talked about on this show, um, and Nick will back me up on this, where, you know, the general consensus um, amongst people who, you know, on this show and guests is that although Apple kind of um, paint, have painted themselves into a corner with iOS, um, 
it wouldn't necessarily, you know, be a terrible thing if they didn't update the Mac OS, you know, annually. But they've Every also time, kind of, yeah. but they've kind of hooked themselves into a thing now where if iOS has a load of new features, then you've got to do a new Mac OS yeah. to tie yeah. in with them and, and hook hook them all yeah. together. Right. So you kind of Yeah, there's really no way around it nowadays. Um and you know, and uh, I I will say that um I I'm a little bit less exercised than many people about, oh, big new update, you know, bad things, new is bad, blah, blah, blah. And you know, the simple fact of the matter is I use apps. You know, the operating system is just the operating system. It's my apps that matter. And that's where I get my work done. And how much the operating system is going to make a difference to my apps, usually not that much. So, um, you know. You know, it's it's I I I understand the the you know the the frustration that people feel and when big things do change, but realistically, you know, I upgraded to Big Sur, you know, obviously early on on some Macs, but on my on my main Mac fairly recently, and I've honestly barely noticed. You know, still getting my work done just the way I always have. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but I think... uh, so, in any event, back to the yeah. Go on. Sorry. I was back to the history side of it. Um, um, the other the other big thing that that uh, that we're known for is in 2003 we started take control books, and um, really you know kind of pioneered a significant ebook only publishing approach, and did that for 14 years before well frankly Tanya burned out of having five books in her head at all times, um, and uh, we sold that to Joe Kissel and um, and then kind of the other non specific thing that we do in the in the tech world these days is I publish something called the Tidbits Content Network, which is syndicated content for Apple professionals, consultants, resellers, those sort of folks who need to have their own blogs and email newsletters and social media, but frankly just don't have the time to do all the writing themselves. So they can we can do the writing and they can personalize and customize and you know get it out there without having to uh think of it and write it all from scratch. Huh. Well, that's a you know a handy thing to be doing. I'm sure. I'm sure plenty of people were very <laughs> you know, grateful. Oh, just, well, it's just you know, like all the people are like, oh, if you have a business, you need to have a blog. You need to have an email newsletter. Like, well, yes, but where am I gonna find the time to do all that on top of everything else? So yes, and it's um it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, being um. You know, being good at what you do does not necessarily train you to be a journalist or a writer or, um, you know, yeah, all of absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's just too much. Exactly. Uh, so, and whereas you know, as I said, we've been doing this for thirty years. You know, I write pretty damn quickly when it uh, when it comes to you know tech stuff, and you know, even still, this stuff takes me time to do. So, you know, like anyone who hasn't had the level of experience I do, it's going to take them a lot longer. And you know, yeah. So it 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 helps, and you know, people appreciate it a great deal, and that's been that's been a great great little business for us as well. Excellent, excellent, and of course, um, obviously, take control books um we're quite big fans of take control we had joe on we've had uh and glenn fleischman was on last week um i've had jeff Carson oh, on in the past um yeah well jeff um jeff was on when he just done a book can't remember what it was it might have been take control of photos um glenn obviously has done about eight books in the last year or so 
Um, either repeating them or writing new ones. As he said, well, I've got nothing else to do. I'm locked down. I'm locked in my house. <laughs> it's very productive. Um, so, you know, yeah. that, was, that yeah. was good. Um, yeah. And uh, Joe Cassell actually came and spoke at our um, Suffolk Mac user group, or virtually, obviously, um, last week. So, uh, oh, yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been it's been so great. I mean, there's always, you know, when... When you've when you've put fourteen years into building a business and you know you decide to sell, there I mean there's obviously you know sort of being compensated for the value of what you've created, but there's also this real desire to see it continue to thrive. Exactly. You know that we didn't yeah. want to see it just go away, and so it's been wonderful that uh, you know that Joe has been able to take over and you know keep it just you know, strumming along on the, and, you know, in very much the same ways that, that we had, and which was in some ways not surprising because, you know, he had been our primary author before, uh, before he took over as publisher. So a great deal of the business was built with his input uh, from, the, from the very beginning. I think that's yeah. true for quite a lot of businesses, though, isn't it? I mean, my sister in, sister-in-law had a business of her own and she eventually sold it on. Um, uh, but but she wanted to sell it on to the right person. I mean, it's yeah. not just a matter of just handing it off to the first person who offered you a bit of money. It's a matter of, you know, this is our baby. We yeah. want someone to take care of it. Well, and, <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that we've always done with Tidbits and actually you know, with Take Control and all of the rest of our, 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 our business life is it's very personal. You know, people know who we are. And so when uh, you know when we decided to sell you know we initially sort of like well i guess we could you know we could talk to o'reilly or one of the other major publishers and you know they might have been interested in it but they would have been interested for basically the catalog and and the customer list yeah and that's it and we're like but you know but what we did was different you know we did it differently on purpose and the people who you know, you know, we feel strongly about who our authors are and, um, and, you know, and same thing with the customers, you know, we really don't want to be in a situation where they're just being treated like, you know, possible, possible leads. You know, the, our big joke is, I mean, I forget the name of who the, the person who did this, but, you know, it's someone Tanya was doing support for Take Control, you know, fairly early on, you know, some guy who she just helped as a thank you, sent her a picture of his pony. And, and it was just, it was just so sweet. I mean, it was just one of those things where it was like, and so now pony pictures, like, you know, you know, you've got you know, customers who like you when they send you pictures of their ponies. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Very, Absolutely. very good. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's, um, so like I say, we had Glenn on because he just did securing your Mac. So we were talking about that. Um, and you've done a piece, I think, uh, John Nemo told me uh, about um, bootable we duplicates. About clones. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Clones. You know, where do they this fit is, in now? This is something. It's it's right. It's a fascinating question because, well, back up a little bit. Big Sur, well, back up a little further. <laughs> Catalina um, uh, changed the way macOS works. So until Catalina, when you had a drive, it was just a drive and your system was installed on it and your files were installed on it and it was all there. And with Catalina, for security reasons, Apple said, we're going to split um, the system volume off into its own thing, and there'll be a system volume and a data volume, and we'll use APS volume 
groups, this new thing they invented, to make them seem like they're one thing for the user. But they'll really be separate behind the scenes, and the system volume will be read-only to everyone but the installer, basically. And this is a good thing for security. Well, that's all fine and nice, but all the backup utilities, uh, Carbon Copy Cloner, Super Duper, Chronosync, others, suddenly had to figure out how to make a bootable duplicate that had this special bifurcated approach. And, and that wasn't easy. It actually took them some time. To, to do that. And so, you know, it was, it, that was, that was sort of big deal number one. Um, and I, I mean, I, I know a couple of these people, the developers personally, and, you know, they were, they were not happy, put it that way. <laughs> Apple no, didn't, because Apple it, also didn't, Mike was, yeah, Apple uh, didn't document this stuff. No, Mike was, shall we say, fairly diplomatic when he said Apple seemed to have messed with a lot of the internals. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Polite and Dave Nanian from Super Duper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty and much. Dave, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and Joe Japes at Econ for the Chronosync folks. And yeah, just, I mean, they all were, they were just very frustrated because Apple went, they're changing all this stuff kind of under the scenes without telling them how to do it. And, and, and even when, they figured out how to do it. The, like the, the Apple tools were often broken, and so you know, again, Catalina was bad, but they 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 got around to figuring it out, and everything worked. Then Big Sur comes out. Now Apple changes things once again. They still have the system read only, the read only system volume, but now everything is cryptographically signed, so it is a signed system volume, and basically they're just hosed. Like they cannot sign the system volume. It's Apple won't, you know, that, that's why signatures work. If you don't have the right key, you can't do the signing. And so um, they've all come up with sort of workarounds that are more or less effective for each one of them. But until Apple actually creates a tool called Apple System Restore, um, ASR, that um, they, they have the tool, it just doesn't work. Until they, until they make it work properly, um, all of these backup apps are kind of, I mean, they, they work, but they're not really giving you the same thing in the same way that you used to get. And so that's where we came to, the, I started thinking about this whole, like, well, we all just assume that we need a bootable duplicate, a clone. And why is that? Is that really true? You know, we, maybe we should revisit that question. And that's where that article came from. Because it, it you know, sometimes you just got to step back and take a look at why you're doing something rather than blindly assuming that it's a, ne it's a necessity. I think... Um, obviously, for many, many years, having a bootable clone was such a fantastic um, safety net that we've all become attuned to having <laughs> And yeah. because people like Mike Bombick and Dave Nanian made it so simple to do, we got used to doing it, you know, as second nature. You know, do a system update, keep a clone of the previous version in case it all goes horribly wrong. When you, you know, when you're happy with the new system, update your clone, so on and so forth. Um, at the moment, of course, as you say, that is much more difficult to achieve. Um, and to some extent, I, I did read your article and <clears throat> I think you were pretty much on the money. You know, is the time of a bootable clone fading into history? Because... Yeah. Um, one of the reasons well, I always used to keep a, a bootable clone was, um, particularly for work purposes, was in the, you know, in the, if the damn machine 
hard drive, you know, literally just failed one morning, I could plug in my bootable clone and it, if not exactly carry on as if nothing had happened, next best thing, I would be able to be up and working and um, worry about what had happened to the, you know, the internals of the machine uh, at a later date. But, I mean, every, you know, we're all moving on to SSDs now. Um, is a bootable, as you say, is a bootable clone such a necessity? It's, uh... Well, and, and I think, I mean, it's partly, I mean, when I, this is what I, when I started really diving into it, because you're right. I mean, you know, that was the idea always was that your hard drive dies, you can just reboot from your clone and, and you're fine. And, and also, as you say, SSDs change it because frankly, they don't fail nearly as often. So much less likely. And, you know, the, that's, you know, so, so, you know, kind of how often did you really need this was one thing. And another really comes down to the fact that a great deal of what we do is in the cloud now. Mm. And, and, and I, and I say what we do fairly intentionally because, you know, lots of people don't want to store all their files in the cloud and that's true, but a great deal of what many people do for work is just communicate, you know, it's email, it's Slack, it's messages, you know, whatever it is. And so you're not nearly as dead in the water as you used to be because we, I, I, I think it's amazing how uh, we've just taken for granted, really, the fact that when you buy a new device, um, that you log into your account and everything appears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just amazing, really, uh, thinking back, you know, to the way things used to be. Um, and, the, and it's interesting because there was, that was the thin client idea, you know, almost back to yeah. terminals. But, but it's really, it's, it's come to fruition, right? You just log into iCloud and poof, it all just populates. Yeah, so it's much easier than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know, like uh, my son's twenty two now, so I've been arguing with him about technology for years now. Um, and you know, when he went off to college, and you know, we bought him a we bought him a MacBook Pro and a backup drive. And I had to argue with him about the backup drive. He's like, "But everything I have is in Google Drive," and I'm like, "Yeah, but you know, are you going to be able to get to it quickly enough if you have a?" paper due or project, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, on the one hand, I'm still right, but, uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, and I was proved, proved correct when he managed to, uh, what did he do? He, oh, he closed, accidentally closed the screen of his MacBook Pro while the headphone jack was just in the, in the screen. And it ended up breaking the screen and then needing a new motherboard and things like that. So, you know, he you know, was repaired under Apple Care. Um, and he, but he basically got a new motherboard. And it's like, that's why you have a backup, because you could just restore from it and in your machine will back when you get it back. And but he really, you know, he to this day, he still, you know, most of his stuff is is in the cloud and he doesn't really see as much of a role for a backup as people like I, you know, people, older folks like us do. We forget, don't we, that um, when you talk to people these days and you say something about, well, what do you do when there's no, when you have no internet? They say, what do you mean no internet? <laughs> is that, is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Internet's everywhere. Don't be silly. <laughs> don't be silly. Yeah. Precisely. And so, so, you know, when you think about that kind of stuff and, and, and also, you know, there's, there's even, even, weirder little infrastructural things that we don't usually think about but you know it's more important that you have another computer or another device anyway yeah. to be able to come back up to work on than you have a bootable clone so 
you know, if you only have one Mac and you rely on that Mac to earn your living and, you know, the bootable clone might or might not be helpful, but if, you know, like the Mac just dies, you know, that's kind of a problem. Um, you know, you need to have a backup one way or another, but, you know, one of the things you can do now, and Apple even encourages this uh, um, in some places, is that you can you can go go to an Apple store and quote unquote buy a Mac and then have it for 14 days and then take it back. Yes. So, yeah. And, and, you know, an Apple store, people will, will even recommend that, you know, like your Mac has just died. You need to, it's going to be repaired, but you can't work for the next, you know, week until it, you know, goes away and comes back. Here's a way to get, you know, work. That's actually fabulous. If you think about it, I mean, being able to do a short-term, in essence, a short-term rental for free. Um, so, you know, so, you know, yes, you need to have your, 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 you know, your, your data available, but, you know, the bootable duplicate, yeah, less, less important than it used to be. You know, that that's, that's just not the, the key thing anymore. Um, so, you know, that's not to say that, you know, I'm sure that Apple will fix ASR eventually, and I'm sure that all the backup apps will eventually be able to make their bootable duplicates again. And when they do, great, no problem. I'll still keep using one. It's never it's not a bad thing to have one. It's more just that it's not the key that it used to be. No, it, I, it's still it's still the fastest way, though, isn't it, to get back up and running again? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, we, uh, you it's can get back up and running recovered files a lot of the time, right? Yeah. You know, easier than Time Machine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, but but again, for most of that stuff, you just need the data. It doesn't have to be bootable, okay. and no, it can it all make but you know data only backups. Yeah, we can all make data only a backup with um you know uh, super duper and uh, carbon copy cloner and all. I mean, they're all working perfectly well for, for, from yeah. that point of view. They they are. They're all working perfectly well. And of course, <clears throat> the other thing is Apple is making using a bootable clone harder and harder to actually make use of, even if you've created one. Um, yeah. Because as they lock the yeah, system there's... ever further down, it's harder and harder to, you know, actually allow get your machine to boot from an external drive. And there are real issues with the M1 Max that we don't. Honestly, I don't think anyone fully understands this right now. Howard Oakley, um, who's Eclectic Light Company blog, is required reading for anyone who's interested in this stuff. Um, he's done a lot of experiments, and he, his basic conclusion is the only way to make a, a bootable external bootable clone for an, an M1-based Mac is with a Thunderbolt 3 uh, external drive. USB-C will not work or will not work reliably. And you also can't swap them back and forth between M1-based and Intel-based Macs. So, you know, I've, 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 you know, I've been able to verify that too. And it's just... You know, I mean, part of it, I, I want to say that some of this stuff also goes back to this was one of the advantages of the Mac years and years and years and years ago. This was something Windows couldn't do, right? And I think people latched onto it in part because of that. I mean, it's a great feature, you know, that you could have this hard drive. You could take around and boot almost any Mac that you could find. Mm. And, you know, it, it's... It's still true, obviously, to to some extent, but it's becoming less and less true. And I I also think that it's unless you are you know, like a consultant 
type who needs to go around and troubleshoot machines and have like a known a known working environment to to boot things into whatnot for most people it's just it's just not helpful like you don't need a mac you don't need a boot drive that can boot the three macs you might you might have access to at any one time you know how is that going to be different than just booting from recovery you know, you can still get to yeah. you can still get to all the stuff that you might need to just to prove that it works. True, that is true. Um, that, which is what I'm saying. You know, it is the is the time of a bootable duplicate actually passing? Is it going to you know? Is Apple going to you know? As as um Glenn was saying last week, you know, the in Big Sur, not only is the um you know the the boot part the boot volume with your system on crypt cryptographically signed and um you know, root write only. Um, but the Mac doesn't actually access those files. It takes a snapshot of that yes. system and cryptographically solves that, that and then runs from that. So effectively, it's like you're taking the whole system and making a cryptographically signed RAM drive of it and then running from that, which, you yeah. know, it was, we were just saying that that's staggering. It's staggering. The mind boggles. Um, on, but at the same time, you can see why this stuff happens when you start seeing the level of some of these, you know, security exploits. You know, Indeed. there's some really, there's some really smart, kind of bad, or at least um, uh, aggressive, you know, groups out there that want to break into computers. Mm. You know, and it it's, comes down to all security nowadays is at the level of major organized crime or government level resources you know governments are not going to the governments don't want to go after everybody they're going to go after targets organized crime wants to go after everybody so you know it's just it's one of those situations where i you know i i i totally empathize with people who just wish it was you know things were simpler you know back in the old days and life really was simpler it's absolutely true, and it's unfortunately unavoidable that life will always become more complex because, I mean, if nothing else, it's evolution, right? The world evolves to ever more complex states, yeah. and this is another example of that. You know, we didn't need this kind of security before every computer was hooked to the Internet at all times, too. That is also true. When, you know, when, you know, <laughs> you when the, just hang up your modem. <laughs> you know, the big, when the biggest risk to your, you know, to your stuff was somebody physically stealing your machine. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, who remembers the Kensington lot? You know, people used to <laughs> chain, their, chain their devices to the desk. <laughs> effectively yep because that was the biggest i mean yeah yeah absolutely and so it's just such a different world i mean the thing that i mean and i will say you know it's it's good that apple has time machine and you know i'm not i don't think time machine is perfect but it's it generally works and and it's a decent solution and they do keep upgrading it and obviously the time machine developers have knowledge of all the internal stuff at apple so they're kind of a they 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 get everything a little bit um better off than the third party folks. But the thing that I'm a little surprised that Apple hasn't done is iCloud based backups of Macs. They had it quite a while ago. I can't remember whether whether it was dot Mac or iTools. Um there used to be a, a backup app. But uh, but that went away. And I'm su just surprised that Apple hasn't gone there again, especially with how they do um backups for iOS and iPad OS. That's, that's... I think that um third parties have already got that covered they don't need to do that 
Yeah, but then it would get people to buy my more iCloud storage. And, and <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Apple's never, never, never been hesitant to, to to slam the third parties when they think they can make a buck at it. So were, that's true. I must admit, if you know, if Apple were to offer a kind of backblaze type solution, I think an awful lot of people would buy into that. Yeah, because it would be. I mean, it, it, just assume, assume that it's basically like it is an iOS and iPad OS. It's just a button. You just push the button, and you have to have enough enough uh, space in your iCloud drive, and then you've got a backup, and it's and it can restore. You know, when you do an inter, you do a recovery, it can restore your stuff from iCloud just like an iOS device. You know, I I'd hate to be Backblaze um, because I think you know they would lose a vast number of their Mac customers right away. You know, it's you know sad but true. Definitely. Yeah, um, maybe so. That would you know it it would definitely hit Backblaze very very hard. I'm sure. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, like Nick, I am a little <laughs> surprised. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You didn't yeah, hear I mean the beauty. I mean it's. it's it is funny with Apple because I mean, you, you say things like this and you're like, but this has to have occurred to them, right? I mean, you know, it's so obvious. And so you know, I, I have to assume there's reasons why I don't do it. Um, and it may it may simply be that, uh, that like it's not on the roadmap. Like, again, none of these ideas probably haven't been had years and years and years ago. And they may have even been put on a roadmap. Well, we're going to do that one in three years because, you know, we'll need to be increasing our amount of storage. I mean, you could see, we know what Backblaze is really great about reporting on their storage uses, right? Can you imagine the amount of storage Apple would have to have? <laughs> oh. Gee whiz, yeah, and be phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, like it would gets it gets into what zettabytes or something? One of those um, zettabytes, one of one of those one of those uh, versions. You know, that's like <laughs> several more orders of magnitude higher than where we're at now. <laughs> Definitely, that would be. Um, yeah, it would be a phenomenal amount because I suspect the number of Apple customers who would take that up in a heartbeat would be a very high percentage. Oh, yeah, yeah. A very very high percentage. Right, and so I mean, and you know, I mean, and you're probably talking, frankly, you know, I won't say dedicated data centers because that doesn't make sense, but you know, you could think of it as probably needing additional data centers, entire data centers, just to support this. Yes. And so, so again, so so they might have had this idea five years ago, and and just been like, wow, the scale for this is so unimaginable. That I mean, because it's one thing with an iOS device, right? And they didn't have that much storage for a long time, and uh, and even now, you know, most people don't have tons of storage on their iOS devices. Um, but Max, yeah, you know, lots of people have you know a couple of terabytes online. Yeah, easily. Yeah, that's true. And a lot, of, lot of people have a lot more. You know. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. So, 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 I mean, it could be one of those things where Apple is totally working on it, but it falls into the very hard problem category. Yeah. You know, simple to say, hard to implement. Yeah. Or, or simply a matter of the capital outlay. Sure. They make a lot of money, you know, from it, but how much do they have to lay out first? Um, yeah. And even if you have all the money, it's just going to take a long time to build and provision a data center. <laughs> Yeah, because you don't put, you yeah. know, don't throw those up overnight, do you? It's not a, it's not a garden shed with a couple of servers in it, you know. <laughs> yeah, let me rack a few more a few more drives in. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I mean, part of the. I do. I do like to. Yeah, right. Oh yeah, because it would need to be. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, it's been years since Google has talked about what their infrastructure looks like. But my understanding is that Google had gotten to the point where their computers were hot swappable and redundant. And so, because when you get to a certain size, you know that certain numbers of them are going to be failing every day. Yeah. And you just have to be like walking down the rows. That one's dead now. Pull it out, swap in a new one, and nothing can hiccup. So, you know, I mean, the, you know, it's not that these aren't solved problems, because they are. But to solve them at the scale of an Apple or a Google um, is, is it, it takes a solved problem and turns it into an unsolved problem, put it that way. Yeah. And I do think it's useful to talk about this sometimes for people, because... Apple makes it seem so easy at the user level. Like in iCloud, you know, in iOS, you just you just tap the button and it backs up your your device. You don't think about what has to happen for that to be true. Mm. And and I think it's helpful for just everyday users every now and then to either be told or to reflect on the insane levels of science fiction level complexity that go on to make all this stuff work. Yeah, to make it effectively magic it, right it is magic i mean those of us who you know like uh, you know i knew people who could whistle like modems you know to make to make connections you know they could emulate modems i mean you know that we've we've i mean that we've come so far in really not very much time you know that uh, in, in one of the other little history things is in 1993, I wrote the fifth book about the internet. Um, so there were, uh, mine was number five uh, about the whole internet. And uh, it was called Internet Starter Kit for Macintosh. And when that came out in September of 1993, I was pretty confident that I knew literally everything there was to know about the internet and with relation to the Macintosh. And even just over the next couple of years, I watched the percentage of my knowledge, or my you know, my knowledge is a percentage of the whole, just drop and drop and drop and drop. And now there's entire careers that were never even hinted at in you know in 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 1993, four, five, you know, and and within like a year or two, there were hundreds of books about the internet. Um, and you know, and as it now now we don't even have books about the internet anymore because it's it's too it's too it's too large a topic. Yeah, you know, yeah. you couldn't even begin. You'd need a whole library. I was chuckling. Just... Yeah, and it changes so fast, you 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 would be obsolete instantly. So again, yeah, it it just doesn't make any sense. And I think, but I think people sometimes we've made it so easy on the face of it that we've really papered over a, a tremendously impressive technological achievement, and. And it's sort of too bad. I was actually just reading an article about factories um, and uh, the history of factories. And for a long time, you know, middle of last century, factory tours were a big deal. And you could actually go and tour these, you know, these huge factories. And I've done a few of these things in my life. You know, like I, I once did a tour of um, Boeing. Um, we lived in Seattle. Um, Boeing at the time had the, the largest indoor, like the, when they made the seven, you know, the seven seven seven, so you know, the largest indoor plant. Um, and uh, and seeing the scale of that was pretty impressive. But we don't ever get like tours of data centers anymore. So you don't, you can't see it. And and the companies don't ever make a they don't ever really reveal what's going on behind the curtain. So 
ah, every now and then, just worthwhile taking a taking taking a taking a few minutes to think about the the magic of it all. I was just mentioning to my uh, to my family actually um, uh, on a Zoom call um, earlier on about how um, uh, Zoom coped when their membership went from I don't know what it was. I'll make up some figures. Say that it was fifty thousand, uh, and it went to half a million the next day. <laughs> and how they cope with that, and and, and you know, uh, before the internet, uh, wouldn't have they just wouldn't have been able to do that. End of story. And uh, and it went to half a million the next day, and by the end of you know the year was at you know forty million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the speed at which they can with virtualization right. and everything, the speed at which they can just switch on new data centers. And and I do incredible. think, and I do think, you know, I don't I don't want to be an apologist for the for the tech tech world either, because I certainly think the tech world has plenty to answer for. Um, but I do also think that people sometimes need to step back and realize that there are people involved here, working very hard, working very quickly, making decisions sometimes not always with the best data. Um, and so like Zoom's a good example, right? Um, there were various criticisms of them early on. They did a yeah. bunch of stuff, you know, in kind of kind of bad ways. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, what I liked about Zoom, and, and I don't, again, not, they're not perfect or anything, but what I liked about Zoom was once they realized kind of what their role was and as the pandemic kicked in, they basically said and did all the right things. Again, not perfectly, you know, like some of them were not, I mean, there was, there, there've been other issues they've had, but they had so many basic failures of security and privacy and whatnot. They just hadn't thought carefully when they were building it to begin with. And, and they then sat down and fixed all that stuff. And, you know, I, I do, you know, maybe it's maybe it's my perspective from having done this for thirty years, but I just see so many people, or you know, so much so much criticism of companies when they don't do something right, um, and it's legitimate to to do that. But it's also legitimate to set to watch them and say, yes, but they responded well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's really important. Yeah, yes, and you know, everyone makes mistakes. You know that these tech companies are still people. Um, and, and, and they make mistakes, they do things wrong. Sometimes it was, you know, someone just out of college who just got thrown into this role and maybe they just didn't have the experience to do it right. Who knows what the answer is? You can, you can sort of imagine, can't you, that, um, within the company that they literally, someone must've walked into the room and said, okay, stop all development. We're going to fix this stuff. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have which, talked which is, about, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, we have talked about this before, haven't we, Nick? Because obviously, you know, Zoom yes. kind of appeared from nowhere. And they were, you know, they, they weren't started up for the pandemic. They were a company who, you know, had a bunch of customers. But they were a fairly niche solution. Um, yeah. And so some of the things they were doing either, you know, either didn't really matter or their customers didn't care about particularly because... Yeah. Yeah, they Zoom bombing were, was not a thing. Well, because, you know, if you've got, <laughs> yeah. you know, like as Nick said, if you've got 50,000 customers and most of them are business customers and they're probably just organizing meet so that, you know, Seattle can talk to New York without somebody having to get on a plate, then a lot of that stuff's not actually very important. But yeah. when you suddenly get thrust into the limelight and, you know, you, you go from 50,000 to half a million to 5 million to 50 million in no time flat, these things get thrown up. And so, yeah, the fact that Zoom said and did the right things was important. 
And they did. They did start saying, right, okay, you know, some of you are unhappy about this. They made a whole load of changes. They introduced the waiting room. They removed the, um, you know, the meeting ID from the header, all sorts of things like that, which are fairly simple, and but didn't matter previously, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And I, so, and I will say, I mean, uh, I would contrast that also with a company like Facebook, where they will say... They'll, 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 Facebook's constantly getting caught with its hand in the cookie jar in one form or another. And, and they will say they're going to fix something. And even if they do, turns out there's another cookie jar right around the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that, that, this is like I said, this is why I don't want to be an apologist for the tech world because I think some of the people in the tech world, Facebook most notably because of what they do, I, you know, I, I actually don't really think they're trying to do the right thing no i think I they're do. trying to make money and, um, and yeah, you know it's about uh, it's about they'll say that they'll fix things don't they but but they're actually saying what they're actually doing is fixing it in their way yeah right <laughs> we're <laughs> fixing it so another... we aren't criticized for this anymore that's no, right making another workaround to get what they want without it being so blatant yeah um and i have to say Last week, I stood up for Facebook, which is a company I usually despise, and said I had to give credit where I do, <laughs> because they had stood up to the Australian government and said, no, we're going to walk away, and we're going to, you know, stop sharing links from news on our platform. Um, and I said, good for them. They're the only ones who've come out of this with any shred of integrity, even though, you know, I normally loathe Facebook. Unfortunately, they then turned around and trounced me from behind by doing a Weasley, <laughs> doing a Weasley deal um, and basically paying off News Corp um, and going back to, you know, so boo, boo. That's the last I, time you I know, said, well I, I, done I, Facebook. When that news broke, I was, I was sending mail to some of my Australian friends, and I was like, so, how do we get Facebook to not have news and to block everything here, too? Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a feature. They've weaseled out. They've weaseled out. So, there you yeah. go. Well, now... You know, and that's, I mean, I think that was also another example of once it once it really came out, the extent, of, the extent of the power that News Corp really had and Murdoch had in getting that law passed, you know, it's like, okay, so basically we've got, you know, corporate giants, you know, whacking on each other and using, in essence, the people as the, as the, uh, the weapons, you know, so I don't think a lot of that. No, I was sorely disappointed to find that having, you know, apparently stood up and said, we won't be shutting down, <laughs> and said, you know, all right, how about we just bung you a load of money and you go away and leave us alone? Just yeah. so, signing up to a protection racket instead. But there you go. <laughs> there we are. But, sigh. Yep. Yes, deep sigh. A deep sigh of disappointment. Afraid, <laughs> on that one. Um... Well, it, I, I, it's funny because I mean, obviously, you know, I, I have a fairly, fairly clear view on 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 how how minimal my role has actually been in all this. But you know, when I think back to those early days of the Internet Starter Kit and the fact that you know, tidbits actually, we did the first advertising on the internet of anyone and things like that. I kind of like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it to end up like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always. 
remember many years ago, um, somebody said something along the lines of, you know, the internet is like the Wild West. And I said, yeah, but it doesn't stay the Wild West forever, right? First, the, you know, first the cowboys come, then the railway comes, then the towns come, then the banks and the... And the, and, the, and the politicians come, and before you know it, you've just got another city run by corrupt officials yeah. and big business. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really true that, that you, you never stay there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I think, I mean, there's been a, a fair amount that's been written about this, that there was some really interesting um, synergies between, in essence, kind of the, you know, the, the, the hippie crowd from, from the 60s even, um, you know, getting into technology and things like that. And, you know, people believed it was different and, uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll go, I'll, I'll you know, cop to that as well. You know, I, I, I too thought it was a different, a different place and different thing. I did not internalize just how fully and potentially even more troublesome and, you know, troublingly the internet would reflect the rest of human society eventually. Mm. No, I, I you know don't that, think... that one of the things that has been true has, has always been the amplification, right? I mean, the internet allows you, I mean, this is, this is where I come from, right? You know, here I was, you know, a, you know, 20, whatever, 23 year old, 22 year old, uh, um, just out of college that I could start um, a publication and make it a global publication with tens of thousands of subscribers for almost no money at all. Like that's amazing that the internet amplified my voice hugely. And, 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 and at the time that always seemed to, it all seemed to be a good thing. And now we discover that it's also doing a wonderful job of amplifying the voices of truly vile people with vile opinions. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, and, and, oh, you know, that's a problem. Um, you know, it's not an easy problem to solve, but you know, it's the same bullhorn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like the early pioneers said, "Wouldn't it be great to share stuff?" Yeah, <laughs> and and everyone said, "Wow, that's a brilliant idea!" And someone in the corner saying, uh, "But wait a minute." <laughs> <laughs> yes, or someone in the corner is voice didn't. Yeah, someone's voice didn't get very far. I can I I can take these suckers for all they're worth. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <yeah. laughs> Oh, it's like uh, a slight yes, side. It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great pity, but it's also what makes the internet so eclectic and um, a little bit still like the Wild West. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is a good thing. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I, I read a great story um, with, about the guy, and I, I don't remember his name, but the guy who invented TCP IP, which of course you know is stunningly named transfer control protocol internet protocol and as you said if i had any idea when i created that how important it would become i'd have given it a much better bloody name <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was probably was... either vince surf or bob khan um, yeah but you know, yeah yeah tcpic <laughs> i'd have given it a much more interesting name also, of course, that links to the... To well, maybe it's one slowly, of those things that the people... I was going to say that it also kind of links to some extent oh. to the old scanner protocol, Twain, which actually stands for thing without an interesting name. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, I, I did not Twain, know that either. Yeah, that is what Twain stands for when they, they, when they made it. That's it's cool. Like, it's just called thing <laughs> without an interesting name. 
There you go. Perhaps it uh, perhaps it's uh, indicative of the people with the best ideas really shouldn't be given the the, the opportunity to name. <laughs> yeah, long long right. ago, I I knew a long ago I knew a guy at Cornell. Um, and the Unix world is is rife with these wonderful naming things. There's a guy at Cornell who wrote his own version of um, Emacs, um, the editor, and he called it GNOME. Um, and it was, which was a, which was an acronym, and it stood for generally not the original micro Emacs, <laughs> <laughs> which was like you've named it in a like a recursive way no. that denies its recursivity. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, <laughs> Unix and Linux are full of names, aren't they? I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh... yeah, yeah, and that's you know, you it, when you that's what you get when you put geeks in charge. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, chaps. Well, well, have we covered the bootable duplicates? Are we are we good on that? I think we're done with duplicates. Yeah, I think we've covered that and a few other bits. Shall we take five minutes to get a cup of tea? Um, and we'll go over to John Nemo, who has some more, you know, goodies in his uh, hardware store. And then we'll come back and talk a bit more. OK, John, take it away. Sounds good. Yeah. A company called Aris or Aris, A-R-R-I-S, has a product called the Surfboard Max, S-U-R-F-B-O-A-R-D-M-A-X, Surfboard Max Mesh Wi-Fi 6 System. Number is AX6600, AX6600, to maximize your Wi-Fi. It consists of two columnar small white towers and one of which connects to your cable or DSL modem using an included Ethernet cable. Then the second one can go anywhere quite far away from it in your house or your office, your studio, your classroom. As long as it's within range of the original Surfboard Max, you can extend your Wi-Fi to up to 5,500 square feet of indoor-outdoor coverage. Perfect for gigabit speed Internet plans, tri-band gigabit Wi-Fi 6, two-year warranty and support. The website is surfboard.com, S-U-R-F-B-O-A-R-D, surfboard.com. As I said, the product is the AX6600 Surfboard Max Wi-Fi 6 mesh system. It has 26 reviews on their website with an overall rating of 4.8. My niece and I set it up today after lunch, or less than half an hour, to get everything set up. It was really very, very easy. You scan a QR code and get a dedicated app on your phone, and that walks you through all the steps. The first series of steps takes the longest, maybe 10, 15 minutes tops, to connect the Wi-Fi setting of the Surfboard Max to your home network and give it a password and a network name. And then in our case, we went out to my little guest house studio about 50 feet away from the original Surfboard Max. And that plugged in and picked up the signal and extended the mesh network pretty much automatically without doing anything else. The equivalent of 5G speeds on my particular network from Comcast, that's a speed of 120 I know some of you have a speed much faster and some of you have slower. But for me, 120, being able to distribute that over more than 
thousand square feet in the direction I choose is wonderful. Because even if you have a very, very strong 5G router or cable modem with a built-in wireless signal, it only goes in the circumference around itself. And this way you can have literally an extended range by connecting the two mesh units. Many of you know what mesh is and perhaps have much more experience than I do, which is very little. The cost in the U.S. is $400, which sounds like a lot of money when you divide it by the number of times and days and guests and visitors and other members of your family or whoever is going to use the extended network, even yourself, if your house or your property is long or wide enough, that will certainly give you good value. Surfboard and Aris are well-known in the United States for providing modems for Comcast and others for many, many, many years. So I would say I'd give the overall product a four out of five if I was rating it only up to five. No criticisms of the unit themselves, but if you're not a little bit techie, there are a couple of the alerts that you might not know how to do. So if you're even ever so slightly techie, you'd probably be close to a five out of five, and I want you to read the reviews on their website and elsewhere. And if you're not at all techie, get this or another mesh system and have somebody who is techie help you out. But we appreciate Aris providing this Surfboard Max mesh system. So in my home, office, studio, cottage, guest house environment, I can actually send the signal very cleanly to our separate building through several walls and maintain the full 120 speed of our internet connection of our cable modem. And I agree that the connection speed is outstanding. So if you're interested in improving your internet connection, give the surfboard.com, the AX6600 Surfboard Max, a consideration, and you will definitely be glad to be able to have much better internet in the places in your life that you currently are having difficulty with. I forgot to mention that once everything is up and running, you can use that app for testing of your connection and all kinds of management features of the surfboard portion of your wireless network. So the app is more than just for the setup. It will give you lots of functionality post-installation. Back next week with more from Nemo's Hardware Store. Thank you, John. And as always, the links for those will be in the show notes. So, um... Shall we have a look at some news? There's not much, I have to admit, chaps. Um, as I said, last week would have been Steve's 66th birthday. Um, Apple has says uh, Apple has said it has already beaten the M1 Mac mal- malware Silver Sparrow, which is good news. That was on uh, Tech Radar. Um, Silver Sparrow, which infected around 30,000 macOS devices. Uh, that's not strictly true. That was the number of detected infections by ma- uh, malware bites, to be fair. Um, yeah. So there could be quite a lot more infected that malware bites hasn't detected. Um, I mean, the uh, other Red- thing about that that's interesting, though, is that it's kind of this big deal that, oh, it's M1 malware. But you kind of get that for free when you use Xcode. Yes. What, <laughs> I mean, which is what we said last week. Wow, you know. God, oh, God, it, I, make it, I was like, this is. People keep talking about this like it's a big deal. I'm like, really? Does that even not get that this is just what gets kicked out for the most part? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
That's what we said yeah, last the sheer, week. The sheer, fact that, the sheer fact that some of the programmes that have come across to the M1 have literally just been recompiled. Yeah. It all, really. <laughs> yeah, no harm in it. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, like, hey, and, you know, spam developers have to have to keep up with the latest tools, too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that was what Glenn said. Uh, was it Glenn? I think, you know, we should, we should, uh, you know, praise these malware developers for looking, you know, forward looking with the <laughs> M series processors. Thanks a bunch, guys. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, Apple have said that they've revoked a load of certificates and whatnot, which I think we actually mentioned last week. Um, so that's not a particularly new thing, but there you go. Apple says that uh, they have stamped on the uh, Silver Sparrow. So there you go. That's good news. Um, I more say that Chrome uses 10 times more RAM than Safari on Mac OS. And uh, I think most people who use Chrome are unsurprised by that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to ask: Does it really matter? <laughs> that's that's what I was going to say. It's like, well, and, and and I would care if I did not have enough RAM. Um, yeah, that's about the only reason to. Uh, I suppose if you're using Chrome and I don't know some other fairly heavy, um, you know, yeah. RAM heavy programs at the same time, but really... it, it's also it's not like we're back in the old days where you had you know you know, two megabytes of RAM and you cared deeply how it was being divvied up. Yes. Because, I mean, Mac OS does so much stuff in the background. I'm just, I, I don't use Chrome, but I use Brave, and which is based on Chromium. So it's a relatively similar architecture. And I'm just looking at my memory, but, you know, I, I upgraded my iMac uh, in August. So I have a 2020 iMac with 40 gig of RAM. And, you know, plenty of room. <laughs> exactly. Plenty, plenty of room. It's not a problem. It's not really yeah, both. Yeah, both um, uh, Simon and I are uh, will probably say two megabytes of RAM. <laughs> <laughs> we can remember when it were only sixteen k. You're lucky exactly. if you could use all of that. <laughs> yeah. And you had to use it barefoot. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Right. Yeah, while chewing on gravel. But there we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Again, that's just an indication of how far we've come in, you know, really quite a short time. I mean, yeah, I think we, and I think we're more than ever recently, we've been learning that. Um, I mean, we always knew that the Mac didn't need as much memory as Windows did um, back in the day. But uh, with the M1s, we're learning even more that, you know, more doesn't necessarily mean better. Particularly for yeah, the I find I find the whole M1 architecture with with the memory to be really fascinating. That suddenly, when you build it onto the same chip, you can use it in much more efficient ways than when yeah. you have to have a bus between the chip and the and the memory. And right. and right. suddenly, so it's, it's always it's not yeah. always more is better. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, more is probably still always better, but <laughs> it may not be worth better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it might not be discernibly better. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, because I, I mean, uh, I think my previous iMac was a 2014. I think I'd taken it to 32 gigabytes, and memory just ceases to be an issue when you're at that level for like most people for most things. Yes, you know. Agreed. Uh, I, I think <laughs> for for many years, and we 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 talked about this before, that I think a lot of people believe that they need to have you know vast amounts of ram when actually they're probably not using most of it most of the time 
I, I mean, sure, there are there are people. You know, if you're if you're doing games development, if you're rendering three D stuff, if you're doing heavy video editing and so on, then sure, you know, all the RAM you can get is very very important. But for most people, they're not doing that level of work, and people, you know, just believe that you must have, you know, at least sixteen gig of RAM, and um, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. Um, Sure, the amount of RAM that you need to have, you know, consistently goes up. But I think a lot of people have traditionally overspecced their machines to a large degree, just because. Yeah, I would it's the, dead. You know. Um, well, and, and and one of the questions I have is, will you know? I mean, we, with the M1 Max, obviously, there's not really a lot of choices, and they all come with kind of the same amount of memory. And I'm, you know, will with the M2 or whatever, will they? Will memory be one of those things whether it's it's a distinguishing factor or will you just you know get what you get you know yeah we'll put more on you know and this it's 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 tuned to work with this amount and maybe when you get to the mac pro that's not really going to work and you're going to need to be able to to you know put on obscene amounts but for for again even the higher end normal max yeah really not clear that you need to go much above what we got now no yeah that's true um you know, I, I could probably see them maybe specking something like an iMac with, you know, say available in 16 or 32 gig. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that's my thinking too. Because it, it just works. It, um, I think we're all going to just have to learn to think about RAM differently to how we have in the past. That's part of it. The whole, the whole far more efficient um, and faster use of RAM has altered the dynamic um yeah you know, let's it, face it we're still we're, we're still stuck in an age where <laughs> that your, your 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 cpu always has to be faster and your um, <laughs> and your memory always has to be greater um other, other, otherwise you you're, you're going to be stuck at some point uh, even though that's not been true for many years that is that is also <laughs> true yeah. yeah there we are um Apple's latest Mac OS Big Sur update apparently has stopped cheap USB hubs from bricking your machine, which can only be a good thing, by the way. Yeah, because yeah. I've this got is... a reasonably priced one. So yeah. I, did, this... I didn't know it could. This is a fascinating issue. I mean, this is a really weird update if you think about it, um, because what they're saying is that some of these third-party, non-compliant, powered USB hubs and docks, was the terminology Apple used, must be somehow dumping too much power through to the Mac, and yet it's managed in such a way that the Mac can tell it not to. Hmm. Right? Because, I mean, they, they're, they're obviously they're doing, they're making some kind of a firmware change to the Mac yeah. to protect it. Um, and, and yet they can't obviously change what these devices are doing. And so that's a really interesting kind of, huh, how does that all, you know, like, you really kind of want to know what's what's going on behind the scenes there, because, you know, it's not something you really th would think of, of, the, of Apple of having control over. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, actually a little man sitting in the port <laughs> with a stamp, <laughs> stamping things through, you know, and if he finds it's not right, he just sends it back. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah no you're not getting through but it is i mean it is interesting i mean i mean also you want to talk about like the process that must have gone on here because it's only relatively recent max 2019 and 2020 but um and and you know and i and I, what i sort of wonder is if 
like some the way Chinese factories work is that you know they, someone will come up with a a device and then a whole bunch of factories will start making it and they'll be sold under a ton of brand names and things like that. And so I wonder if basically you know someone in China came up with one of these non-compliant hubs and um, or the chipset or the, you know whatever appropriate and then a lot of people started using it so this started hitting all of a sudden. And then you figure Apple has to take all these broken Macs back, figure out what's gone on because like these Macs are dead, right? Yeah. And they have to figure out what's going on, figure out what the people were doing, figure out, you know, get presumably get some of these hubs, reverse engineer the whole problem, then discover that it's something they, you know, realize that it's something they can control if they just make this tweak to firmware. I mean, it's again, the world's a lot more complicated than we think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. So that's what that's what happens when you put that's what happens when you put data and power through the same cable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, and, uh, and I still miss MagSafe. Just saying. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I like. I got. Um. I've bought a. I bought a MagSafe adapter for my. Um, yeah. Thing where you it's a little USB C pluglet that goes into the port, and then it's got a um a, a MagSafe kind of uh end that you plug onto the yeah. end of your USB C and then you can attach it that way. Um it's not perfect, but it does mean I don't have to worry about well, of course my you know, my new MacBook Air, M one MacBook Air with its fantastic, you know, all day battery life and whatnot is um not plugged in anywhere as much as my older machine used to be, but I still am I'm still glad that should I snag the cable or, you know, anybody else snag my cable, it will simply detach from my somewhat yeah. expensive laptop. Yeah. I bought one of those things recently too, and that's exactly my 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 reaction as well, which is it's not as good as Magasafe, but it's the same basic idea. Yeah. You know, it's like the magnets aren't quite as strong. Um, and the, the ergonomics of it just don't work quite as well. Um, but uh, but it has the same effect. And, you know, like what I like about it also is you can you can even, the, I mean, the, the, the USB cable is actually a little stiff. So you can, in fact, just sort of attach it by kind of like pushing it, you know, even using the cable end, um, you know, not, not holding the, the end, but holding the cable somewhere in the middle, but sort of pushing it next to the Mac. Yeah. You know, as soon as that magnet grabs, it it grabs. You're like, yeah, thank you. I don't have to like wiggle the plug in. Um, and I'm not in the slightest bit perturbed that it doesn't do data. I don't want it to do data. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, thank you. Afraid, this is a this. I think we've probably said before. This is another one of Apple's little obsessions, wasn't it? With uh, we want as few ports on this thing as possible. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I think everyone agrees that generally the MagSafe thing was was brilliant we should really should do got rid of it <laughs> the only criticism i ever heard of magsafe was from andy anatko because he liked to work in like in bed in hotel rooms and he's like and he said that it was constantly it was hard to keep his macbook plugged in because you know if you've got you know it's on you know rough covers and things like that you know it's never it's always knocking the cable out slightly i'm like yeah okay but you're still wrong you know (laughs) (laughs) you know it's still great i don't care but that's 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 the the not having it stay plugged in on a on a messed up bed not a problem um, (laughs) everything else is great I must admit, I would have liked to have heard that because that was probably a fifteen-minute anecdote from Andy Nutkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> it was. There were several cans of Coke, uh, you know, uh, original Coke involved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> and it was Lilith number thirteen. And yeah, right. <laughs> so there we are. So, uh, um, but there, yes. So um, apparently, this Big Sur update has prevented cheap USB-C hubs that deliver power from damaging your Mac, or in fact, killing your Mac altogether. To be honest. Yes. Um, Surely good. Here, here's the question. Here's the question, which I wrote about and asked, and no one has answered yet. Is well, is it Big Sur specific? Is the problem Big Sur specific? Is this, I mean, we know the solution is Big Sur specific, but what if you have one of these machines running Catalina? Mm, that is true. And if so, are those Catalina machines still susceptible? And is that because Apple's not going to release a supplemental update? Or are they still going to update? I mean, there's questions here, and I have not gotten any answers to them yet. So, um, because not everyone's running Big Sur on these machines. I mean, if you have an M1, obviously you are, but... Uh, but you know, this is 2019 and 2020 MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. So lots of them could be running Catalina. They could indeed. They could indeed. And Catalina. yeah. Um, so my advice in in the article was, man, if you have one of these, you know, those machines, and you have a USB-C hub, I would unplug it right now. <laughs> well, you, you, you got to be specific. It's USB-C hubs which are being used to power your machine. Yeah, okay. power. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if you've got, you know, there's not a problem with a USB-C hub, whether it's powered or not, as long as it's not the power. You know, delivering power to your Mac. And and it's also, I mean, I you know, reading there was a Reddit thread where people are talking about this, and reading through, it's I kind of got the impression like if it was going to cause the problem, it was probably going to do it fairly soon after you bought the device and started using it in that way, as you say. Um, you know, that like if you'd been using the device for six months or a year, it probably was okay. But, you know, I don't know that's true. That's just my impression. Mm. Anecdote. <laughs> Anecdote. Well, the, of course, the other answer is, you know, don't use cheapo power delivery <laughs> kit. To but, but some of the ones they were mentioning were companies you've heard of. Right. You yeah, know, so it, it, it's easy to say that, isn't it? But when yeah. when you have, if the difference in price is you know, 150 quid, that's well, quite, quite a big difference. Or, or even, again, you know, we don't, you don't know what any company is happening to use in a new, in a product. I mean, if well, it's a chipset, no. you know, yeah. I mean, they, my, my take was you want to work with the reputable companies because then you've got someone to call. Exactly. I mean, it does say, you know, yeah. Reddit user griped about how a no-name hub with USB-C power delivery turn their M1 MacBook Air into a paperweight. Um, but, you know, um, why are you using a no-name USB-C <laughs> hub, you know, to power, to, power your, um, to power your expensive device? I would... True, although I'm not sure we can talk given that we've got no-name little MagSafe adapters, so... <laughs> well, yeah, but at least I, I don't think the no-name MagSafe adapter is actually doing anything to the power coming from my Apple-supplied... <laughs> It's probably not passing it through but um (laughs) so no it is tricky because right i mean some of this stuff there's no reason to buy you know fancy expensive name brand stuff you know it is just as simple as it is and then other things yeah you really really want it you really want the stuff that's done by 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 legitimate engineers i mean i i I, you know don't, don't get me wrong um i would quite happily buy you know, a no-name no USB-C 
hub in order to attach, you know, devices. But I'm not sure I'd buy a no-name, you know, a no-name product that's delivering power to my expensive electronics. And I'm actually not sure I would even necessarily go that far um, because there are, I have seen issues where bad USB hubs have caused Macs to be unstable. Mm. And yeah, so, you know, we've all heard of those, right? That's the, you know, people are complaining about weird stuff. You tell them to unplug their hub, plug, plug, you know, less stuff in directly and problems go away. So, yeah, I mean, USB, USB is one of those, it's one of those, another one of those things like Bluetooth. It's one of the circles of hell. So. <laughs> yes. And you wouldn't expect normally the, US, the USB-C hub to be sending any power back to the machine, would you? Um, I can't think of an example where you, you might, you, you might be powering things off that. Right. I mean, my USB hub has a power socket, but it doesn't send any power back. If you're using it sort of as pass-through power. So you can plug in the yeah. hub directly and then power the Mac off of it because ah. it's a more convenient way to plug it in, I guess. Oh, well, okay. Yes, that can understand that. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, as a, I, I, I mean, be, being an old school, old school person, you know, I'm sitting here on my 2020 i mac with a you know 27 inch thunderbolt display next to it i like desktops <laughs> yeah i like having lots of ports and all of that just built in and all that you know i do my work in my office i don't need i mean i i'm very happy with my m1 macbook air but realistically it's the backup and travel mac you know it's not uh it's not my my everyday thing because i like big screens oh yeah but... we like we like big screens yeah definitely definitely um I mean, you know, I love this. I love this uh, MacBook Air M1 MacBook Air. Um, and before that, I had a MacBook Pro um, 2013, uh, 13 inch as well. Um, and they're great machines. But if you start trying to do, um, you know, something like Affinity Publisher or Photoshop or or anything like that, that's got a vast array of palettes, you really, really <laughs> long for your big two yeah. screen setup. You know, you really do. Um, there's no getting around. More it. screen space are. is always good. It is. More screen space is good. More RAM, more storage, more screen space. <laughs> <laughs> bigger. Go bigger. <laughs> I always used to say, he who dies with the most pixels wins. But, yeah, you know, all, nowadays you can get so many pixels on a machine that you actually can't see them all. So, did you see the, the Aurora 7? Adam, the, no. the huge seven screen thing with all <laughs> fold out screens. <laughs> yes, we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, we were laughing at it. It was a, it was a concept piece, but it was a, a couple of weeks ago. I think it, we mentioned it. It's on the show art from a couple of weeks ago. There's this laptop which has, was it four 4K it was displays? Five, yeah. It? Four, four 4K displays and three 2K displays, one of which is in the palm rest. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you've got your if you imagine your main screen and then two that come out um in portrait mode like uh like you know dress and mirror wings another one that folds up above the top the main or you know what would be the traditional <laughs> laptop screen on top of those two are two smaller like seven inch displays and then there's a seven inch display in the palm rest and it was it, uh, it looks like the kind of thing you'd expect to see in a doctor who <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, the screen here. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you just go to our website, if all you do is look at the uh, the show art from a couple of weeks ago, you'll see it. It's an insane yeah. thing. It weighed twenty six pound. 
I was I was actually going to say I I don't know quite how you how you hold it down. It feels like it would just tip over. <laughs> it's a fairly yes. crazy yeah. piece of work, but um, yeah, it, yeah, weighed twenty six pound, and uh, apparently has a battery life of an hour. Although I don't think anybody was actually expecting to run it off a battery. To be honest, they described it as a portable workstation rather than a laptop. To be fair. <laughs> 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 pretty insane oh, piece wow. of it. only yeah. portable if you've got strong arms <laughs> yeah as i say that that's that's portable like the mac portable was portable, portable yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah indeed <laughs> or the se if you you know put your se in a bag and never lug that around the se bag was way more portable <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just kind of I'm trying to I'm trying to, I'm looking at this picture trying to figure out like where all these things go. <laughs> well, if you got to follow to find the link, a video where they show. Yeah, there, there is a link. This in the article, which is in the show notes. There is a picture of it how it sort of folds up. It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Yeah, okay. Kit. Oh dear. There <laughs> we are. Yeah, there we are. More, more is better. There we are. <laughs> Or not necessarily. Oh, yeah, I see it. <laughs> yeah, dear, oh, dear. Uh, apparently, developers now have until March the 31st to re return their developer uh, Mac Mini to Apple and get their $500 credit. According to 9to5Mac, there we are. Um, no real surprise Surely there, do. I don't think. Um, as we say, at least uh, they... Not no, although it was surprising when Apple did it their first time. Mm. But yeah. um yeah. Uh it's now five hundred dollars in credit, which is you know, I think a lot of developers were a bit, you know, put out that they were only off from two hundred. But as we said on the show, a lot of it I think was more to do with the fact that you only had until the end of May to spend it. Um and now they've extended that till the end of the year, which means there's a good chance of, you know, a later yeah. M series Macintosh will be out that developers would be more interested in purchasing. We are. Um what else have we got? Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Mozilla launches total cookie protection with Firefox for uh, Firefox 86 for the Mac from 9.5 Mac, which is uh, what we were talking about again the other week, where the browsers are now separating the cookies into separate jars for each website to uh, prevent um, cross-site tracking and uh, other abuses of caching. Or the storage of your cookies. So um, that goes along you'd with. Of course, they call it a jar. What else? <laughs> of course, they call it a jar. Why else would you call it? Um, which means they and Chrome and Safari, I think, have now all implemented that. You know, one cookie jar per site to prevent cross-site tracking. It's all good for users. Um, there are advertisers all over the world who are. <laughs> <laughs> jumping up and down with rage <laughs> yeah. saying stop it stop it yeah. yeah no sympathy no sympathy at all no <laughs> exactly um a security researcher has recommended against last last pass after detailing seven trackers apparently um although apparently this is you can opt out um Security, yeah. Uh, one password has no trackers. Bitwarden has two trackers, apparently. Um, um, what do we say? Mike Kuketz, uh says trackers are transferring. There's no evidence that they are transferring passwords or usernames. 
but he says their presence is bad practice for a security critical app handling sensitive information. Um, LastPass say the company gathers limited data about how LastPass is used to help it improve and optimize the product. Um, no sensitive or personally identified. Yeah, it's only in the Android data. app. Is it? Interesting. Um, yeah, only in the Android app. Um, users can opt out of the analytics in the yeah, privacy section found in of the, the Android app. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, anyway, apparently they do they do track some data. But if you have elected to allow, uh, you know, improve and optimize the product, um, you can opt out of these analytics in the privacy section of the advanced settings menu. So there you go. Um, if you are a user of LastPass, which, uh, you know, a lot of people are bailing on LastPass after they've um, basically kiboshed their free um, their free tier, as we talked about last week. Um, and uh, The Verge oh, no, also I've has... persuaded someone to use it. <laughs> <laughs> um, also from The Verge... Oh, well, never mind. That's the, fir- the first time I've managed to actually get someone to use the... Password manager. It's the first time I've managed to get someone to actually use password manager. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Well, to be honest, if they are, you know, if they only use it on, say, you know, a desktop, um, if they're the yes. sort of person who's probably they're never probably used okay. password manager before, it probably won't make any difference because they, you know. Um, if they just uh, limited the number of devices you can run it on or something. Uh, they've divided it into, you can choose, They've they've made a, two sections there's mobile or there's quote unquote desktop yeah um uh, right okay, sure. and Probably must, okay there, there's a there's sort of a list of um devices which fall in each camp and you must choose one camp if you're um if you're a free right. user now if you want to have it on it's still unlimited devices but only within either the desktop sphere or the mobile sphere if you're like me and you want to use yeah. it on your less you know laptop slash desktop and your iphone or ipad then um the free tier will no longer you know work for you um okay so it's a little bit a little bit like what dropbox did but slightly different yeah i I have to admit actually dropbox bugged me more because um they limited you to three devices yes and um and and so you know basically as you you know get and and you know move devices three is not actually very many No, it's no, it's not. Um, and so I've been moving more to iCloud Drive because of that. Um, yes. So The Verge have a how to leave LastPass and move to another password manager. Um, for most, it's actually very simple. Uh, LastPass allows you to export all your data as a CSV file, and then you can import, import it into something like Bitwarden or KeyPass or one of the other, you know, one password, mm-hmm. whatever is your choice. Although if you're a LastPass free user, you're probably not going to be choosing to go to one password, to be honest. Um, <laughs> probably not. Probably going to be like me and move to Bitwarden because it's free. There you go. Um, and this one doesn't surprise me in any way, shape or form. Uh, Clubhouse is recording your conversations and that's not the worst of its private <laughs> problems. Isn't that the point of Clubhouse? <laughs> um, well, I'm not sure. Um, I don't. I don't really get it, to be honest. The whole clubhouse. Thing, <laughs> um, I don't get it. At all. I mean, it's it's an audio thing, so I would assume they'd be recording, kind of by definition. Well, I I thought the whole thing with clubhouse is it's about you know dropping in on rooms of conversations live, which to me kind of seemed to limit it awfully, you know. 
if um, Elon Musk is going to talk to you know some other some other luminary and you want to listen, you have to go on while he's doing it. But I don't know. <laughs> I've not got an invite, and I don't really care. To be honest, I have. <laughs> yeah. It seems like the you know the buzz of the moment, and I'm not sure it's going to go very far. To be honest. But I could be proved wrong because people are strange. People are very strange indeed. There we are. Um, I don't know. What's what's your take on the whole clubhouse thing? Do you think it's just a bit of a fad at the moment? I mean, it all seems to be a very much yeah, big I've, name. I've literally, I've literally gotten an invite and downloaded it yesterday. Um, yesterday, day before yesterday. Um, and purely from the I like to know about things. Um, so I can't actually see myself using it because I consider audio to be a very slow method of communicating most of the time. And, you know, it just, you know, it takes a long time. I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to spend a bunch of time talking to people, I want to talk to people like you and have a podcast come out of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I I, yeah, I'm not. Oh, I haven't just, heard of it. So, uh... Well, it's yeah, it's this new sort of. It's like it's sort of like live podcasting, but without the ability to put it out as a podcast. It's a bit, as far as I understand it, it's all a bit. But it all seems to, the big yeah. buzz seems to be that all sorts of big names, technology names, are on there. You know, Elon is on there, and Stephen Sinofsky, and 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 people like that. Um. Whether it will become a big thing, I have no idea. Steve Sanofsky, um, uh, he went to Cornell. He's a couple of years older than us. And um, amusingly, he was uh, the RA, the resident advisor, in Tanya's dorm when she was a freshman. So so we actually sort of know Steve Sanofsky from like completely before he became a Microsoft guy. <laughs> Small world. Um, Yes, it is a small world. And you can discover like, oh, wait, that, he was your RA, wasn't he? The guy who's like in charge of Windows now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, right, I think that's probably... Be- oh, we've got one here from Mac Jim in uh, a Scottish invention does the impossible and gives people eyes on the back, in the back of their head, um, which is in effect uh, some of those... Um, Glasses with little mirrors in the corners of the frames that allow you to look behind you. Um, <laughs> right. The sort of thing yeah. that used to be sold in the back of comics for a couple of quid back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, rear view glasses. Um, there we are. Um, more seriously, um, these are, you know, not just cheap joke ones. These are actual, uh, you know, designed for cyclists oh. and whatnot. With rear view mirrors. I was going to say, this, yeah, this is, that's a terrible headline. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, These are just bike mirrors. Yeah. I mean, anyone who doesn't bike with them, you know, doesn't have a mirror on their bike or their helmet is an idiot. So, um, you know, this is, these are, I mean, these are a little expensive, but, uh, but boy, if they were good, um, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Eisenbach. It's just a mirror. <laughs> it's just mirrors, basically. It's not a. Um, I was going to say, I'm not sure if I put the live link in there, but um, there we are. I'll make sure the link is live when I put it in the show notes. Uh, no, they're they're actually they're not as silly as they sound, but um, 
we had much hilarity yeah. in in the slack room because we you know we're all, <laughs> most of us are of an age to remember the you know see behind you glasses in the back of comics and um yeah. <laughs> yeah. the the x-ray vision specs yeah 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 exactly x-ray specs and all those there we are <laughs> um and uh we've got a worth a chirp which i think Donnie sent in, which is the Hush Nag Blocker, which is available uh, from the Mac App Store and the iOS App Store. Um, And it's uh, a content blocker, which uh, blocks, apparently, uh, browse the web free of nags to accept cookies, privacy-invasive tracking, a tiny, fast, free, open source with no access to your data. Um, And Mm. it's uh, recommended to anyone who uses Safari by John Gruber, no less. So there we go. It's um, it's free, open source, and uh, secure. And I've downloaded it's available well, for Mac and iOS, and I installed it, and it does appear to have at least cut down on some of the annoying, do you want a newsletter, do you want to sign up, do you want this, that, and the other. No, I don't. Go away. Well, the most annoying ones are the cookies, because... Everyone feels, including us, feels like you have to do them because you're going to get in trouble with the EU or whoever afterwards if you don't. But, you know, no one actually pays any attention now because every website under the sun has had to do it. Yeah. Completely worthless. Utterly. Pride um, And that's, that's about it, chaps. I think we've been going a moderate amount of time, so I think we'll probably just wrap it up. So, um, Adam, would you like to um, tell us where people can find you? <laughs> well, um, the easiest place to find me is always at tidbits.com, T-I-D-B-I-T-S dot com. And um, for anyone who is an Apple professional, consultant or reseller, or just anyone who wants to have their have a, a blog or email newsletter with Apple content, uh, TCN, or Tidbits Content Network, is at tcn.tidbits.com. Right. Very good. Uh, Nick? Uh, yeah, you can find me as usual, um, uh, very occasionally on Twitter, uh, under Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Um, I'm very occasionally on Bart show. I haven't been on recently, um, usually because he's recording in the middle of the night, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, a bit too late for me. Um, that's about it, really. Yep. Okay. Um, and of course you're in the Slack room along with the rest. Oh yes. In our jolly Slack room link to, uh, you know, link to join that in the show notes as always. So there you go. Um, you can find me on the Twitter as at Serenak and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Uh, all of the show stuff is over at essentialapple.com, of course, and the show tweets is at essentialapple. Um, Thank you to, uh, you know, everybody who supports the show in all the usual ways, uh, retweeting our stuff and whatnot. Um, You know, if you want to support us, look up the Patreon or the Pinecast tips jar. Um, And if you want to join us in Slack Room, do that as well. Other than that, um, thank you for listening. And we'll see you all again next week. Goodbye, all. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much 
to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcasts, and take a listen. Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome. again another time. Until then, goodbye.